Venus, goddess of love that you are. AKA Roadside Shaman on Instagram. If you can tell by the sound of it, I am applying a fresh castor oil pack at the moment. And I was humming a little song while I was working and thinking about what I should talk about. And I just decided to push record while I was humming and thinking because. I've been trying to decide what I wanted to talk about on my next pad- podcast for like two or three days now. <laughs> and I just can't deal with that kind of uh, expressive blockage at this point. Um, I need the flow. I need the flow. I need to keep things in flow. Pauses are nice. But work stoppages are so last century. All right, and now I can do this little bit of my ritual. Oh, you know what I want is I want these little cozy pillows sitting on my lap. It helps make a little bit extra pressure on the castor oil pack. With the hot water bottle. Oh, singing a ditty makes me miss Amy. But I might get to see her tonight. Maybe. Perhaps. Possibly. There's a rumor. There's a rumor that she may be rolling through for a quick hello, perhaps. So, maybe that's why I'm singing ditties. I'm beckoning my friend. Beckoning my friend. Okay. I'm going to take the old day's candle out. This one spilled a little bit yesterday, so the wax made it stick. Oh, dear. It's very... (laughs) This isn't just a little. It's spilled more than I thought. It's, like, seriously stuck in there. I need to get my little... Let's see. Let's do the human thing. And use a tool. Haha. That is such a very human thing to 
to use a tool. And it works great because I got it out. Boy, that was a day, wasn't it? Oof. Left a stain. That day left a stain. I'm going to have to put that one in my jar when I get done with my castor oil patch because I can't reach it. I moved it to the other end of my altar. That's interesting. Why did I decide to do that? Oh, because the paper. Fine. Whatever. Am I hitting the camera? One, two, three, four. Oh my god. Dude, you guys. There's only six left. I'm rounding the corner. I'm in I'm within the last third of my prescription. I am entering passing grade territory. 67%. 68%. You know? I'm almost to average student land. Whoa! If I complete it, I'm going to get 100%. I might even do an extra day for extra credit because I'm a nerd. Celio, 11-27-2018, Wednesday. I'm not even filming this one. I thought I would, but... I'll just take a picture of it already lit. I'll just take a picture of it already lit later on. Why won't this sit level? Because there's a lot of wax bottled up in there, that's why. I like sitting. I like sitting with my little heart fire candle nestled on my... Um, on my tummy, on my castor oil pack. I don't know why, but I feel like it does something energetically. I feel like it helps draw the yuckness out, you know? Like whatever, <clears throat> whatever residual remnants might be there from the radiation treatments or chemotherapy inelegant words spoken by surgeons or technicians while over the wound bed. I think that there's something about having this little candle resting on my tummy, on my wound, even if it is, you know, through, you know, six or eight inches of fabric and plastic and water, well, whatever this is, rubber, I don't know what water bottles made out of. I feel like the flame resting atop the wound provides an attentional flow, a drawing in and up and out, you know, a torsion point to pull the spent energy. Everything is locked down. Everything is compacted and folded over and just, you know, scarred. And I feel there's something about the, the life of the fire that awakens it, enlivens it, helps it to become mobile or facile or changeable, mutable. 
So, yeah, I like putting my little heart fire on my tummy. Helps me balance. I like meditating on the flame. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done candle meditation? Just a single flame, a single fire, single light, just gazing upon it, watching it move and flicker and shine bright and falter and sputter and spurt. It's very, um, it's an interesting practice to do candle meditation. Gaze into the flame. Personally, I love fire. It's one of those um, it's one of those like what I would consider an elemental familiar. I enjoy working with it. I crave it. I craft with it. I enjoy it aesthetically. I stim out on it. I you know I have a maybe an inappropriately intimate relationship with fire. Um, don't tell my mom, but I'm thinking about getting into fire dancing as a form of uh, ceremonial practice. I, I basically do it accidentally with inappropriate tools. And so I really need to get the appropriate tools and learn to do it appropriately because humans have danced with fire for millennia and there are safe ways to do it that look scary and dangerous but are actually quite safe and so I need to uh, get some training and education in that because I'm feeling called to it for sure I adore fire pyrophiliac that's me I used to call myself a pyromaniac but I realized that that wasn't descriptive of what I did because I wasn't manic about the fire I wasn't insane about the fire I wasn't you know a maniac I was a lover I was a filiac I was a lover of fire so yeah single candle meditation considering this flame, remembering to light it, spending a few moments with it. That's why <clears throat> that's why the candle meditation anchors my day because let's say I didn't start my day at, you know, 4:44 in the morning. Let's say my day started at 7:30 because I was sick and overslept and you know, woke up to find out that they'd already put my kid on the bus to school and I missed the whole morning routine. Like, that would be deeply discombobulating. I would feel most out of order. But if I start my candle, I feel like I'm starting my day. I feel like it's a chance to begin again, to shift my focus. So, and I mean, they're so... It's such a little ritual. It's such a tiny ritual. I mean, there are times when I literally would be like, don't waste that tea light candle. That's nonsense. Save it for a special occasion. 
literally a tea light candle. Do you know how small a tea light candle is? Not even like a half inch tall, you know, maybe an inch across, maybe inch and a quarter at the most. Like tiny little, you're lucky if it burns for an hour. You know what I'm saying? These are little guys. And I didn't want to spend one a day. Let me tell you something. A 16-pack of tea light candles you can get from the dollar store. In other words, I'm talking about not wanting to, quote, waste one sixteenth of one $1 expenditure. And I'm not in a state of lack of consciousness. I swear to you I'm not. I affirm, I vow to you, I'm not in a state of lack consciousness. I'm in a state of deep appreciation and honoring and acknowledging the resources that went in to gather up this tin of metal, this tiny wick, the little metal disc, that dollop of wax. There's a lot of Earth's resources that went into this candle. There's a lot of manual labor that went into this candle. And so... When I contemplate it and I decide if I'm going to use it, what I'm not going to do is just light it haphazardly, half-acidly, and not pay attention to it. That I for sure and certain am not going to do. So I only light my candle when I know I can attend to it and give it the honor it's due. And that means that there are some days when I don't manage to get my candle lit. But this pairing of action, of linking the candle ritual with my hot water bottle, my castor oil pack, that has made me string more days together in a row than I've had, like maybe ever. Certainly certainly with candle ritual, you know? I used to use the candle ritual as a focusing tool, you know, intermittently at best. Three, four times a week, maybe. Sometimes I'd go a whole week without doing it if I was having a rough go. But this, coming back to it every day, notating the day, acknowledging the fact that we had a day and that the day is over, I can give one tea light for each day. That is not a waste. And that is not an indulgence. It's certainly not a luxury. But it is an honoring. And if I honor it, the day will be honored. And... and it will be honorable. But if I just light it and walk away, well, hi, hello, forest fire. Untended fire is dangerous as all get out. Untended fire is a desecration and violence. So if I'm going to light it, I'm going to tend it. And I'm not going to light it if I cannot tend it. So, yeah, I, I'm really liking my new rituals and my rhythms. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to think about, like, doing things the same way all the time. Um, you know, wanting to be in flow and, like, well, what if I'm not in the mood to do candle ritual, you know? Or what if I evolve out of needing castor oil packs? Well, 
I leave space for all of those realities and I leave room for the fact that my um, rituals always grow and evolve and change. But the fine tuning that I'm trying to do here, the adjustment that I'm trying to make, the course correction I'm trying to make is where I have allowed my giftedness in capacity to improvise to unfortunately lead me to not follow through with some of the more rigid structures of ritual and routine that would be very helpful and grounding for me. So it's like one of my skills is kind of like making it harder for me to access another set of skills. It's like being imbalanced on the teeter-totter, you know? Um, so I, I don't, I don't really know what the solution is. I just know that I keep trying different processes and techniques and guidances to get me to a state of balance, to get me feeling like, um, like I have a center point, you know, sort of like you're taking a picture and you got to put your other hand up on the camera to steady the shot or put your elbow down on the table so you don't wobble. <clears throat> I feel like these daily routines are just a little stabilizer to help me focus. I don't have to start from ground zero. <clears throat> I have a little bit of a, a jumping off point. But either way, it has been a rough couple of days. Post-holiday body impacts. Um, I have a... The, the, the disease process, I am relationally engaged with at the moment, you know, working through um, this rheumatoid situation, the autoimmune a stress modulated condition okay stress modulated condition which means that the more stress I have and that doesn't mean positive or negative it just means the more the more I engage with the more um, disease process I can expect to experience in other words I have to allow and a lot for within my schedule, within my routine, within my daily living demands, recuperative time or the backlog of metabolic byproducts within my cells um, becomes insurmountable. If you can picture, I keep using the I Love Lucy metaphor, but I realize that's so freaking old. It's like when my dad would talk about Al Jolson. Miami. Yeah, no, we don't sing Al Jolson anymore, Dad. Nobody knows who that is. And if they could remember, they'd probably decide he was a racist asshole and nobody wants to sing his songs. 
<laughs> I love Lucy metaphors, the chocolate factory. Lucy and Ethel decide to, I don't know, pick up extra money, go get a job. They, they answer an ad. Somehow, you know, situation comedy. They find themselves in a situation. The situation is Ethel and Lucy are standing at the very end of the candy factory wrapping line. So like all these little chocolate bonbons are running down the factory line and their job is to pick them up and put them in a little paper wrapper and put, put them in the box and they run it and it's quite at a slow rate reasonable. And they're, they're just like, they pick one up, they wrap it, they set it down, they pick one up, they wrap it, they set it down. It's a very nice natural movement, right? These are new people, new learning the task. Oh, isn't this lovely, right? Well, that's the learning and training, the grace and the mercy, right? That's the fun, the play. Here's, here's the fun thing that the human can do. This is how we learn, right? Great. And then capitalism comes in and flips a switch and said, okay, guys, now we got to get in production. We're going to go at production rate. In other words, this is the rate that we have to run this machinery in order to create a profit. Ready? Now stand next to this machine and sync your motion up with that machine and keep up. And that's the process. That's the process. Being in a disease process where you're overwhelmed, where you don't set aside enough recuperative time for your body to deal with all of the byproducts of your day, to digest all the byproducts of your day, you end up standing there shoving chocolates down your apron top, hiding them from your boss, shoving them under your hat, sticking them in every pocket, nook and cranny, hoping that, you know, nobody will see that you haven't met your quota. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You know, they shut the whole factory floor down and they fire your ass. Bye. That's called a rheumatoid flare. If I run this body too hard, if I, you know, crank the system up too fast, if I demand production from it, the big boss, you know, the greater knowing benches me. I get sidelined. I get waylaid. And it's usually in a really unpleasant form. And it usually costs me anywhere from three to ten times as long to recuperate than it would have if I had done it proactively, preemptively. So... I should have just taken a day, laid down, rested, you know, gotten in the tub, but instead I ate pumpkin pie out of my hand in the living room while chatting with family. <laughs> pumpkin pie in my hand. Picture that. Picture a human being walking around a living room with a piece of pumpkin pie in their hand and just eating it and talking. That was me on Friday. Gastroparesis, guys. Radical, radical, radical gastroparesis. And it wasn't about the pumpkin pie, because please, I've eaten other pumpkin pie. I've eaten more pumpkin pie since then. 
I've eaten. It's not the pumpkin pie. It wasn't the specific food item. It was the the cumulative load of days and days and days of over-socializing, over-sitting in the car or on the couch, over-standing in the kitchen and the tile, over, you know, staying indoors. Just too much of all the things that stress my body. Not enough time by myself, not enough time in the sun, not enough time laying down, not enough time inverted upside down on my head, not enough time walking, breathing, spraying water on my plants. I spent too much time doing one sort of thing and not enough time doing another. And what does that mean? Okay, yeah, it's the holidays. Fucking bullshit, it's the holidays. That's not the excuse. The excuse is I have no routine. I have no rhythm. I go with the flow, but the flow is chaotic as all get out. I'm working on building some sort of routine. I'm working on making some sort of sensible healing process that brings order to my day so that I can feel more efficient and effective, so that I can feel more calm so that I can stop beating up my body left and right. I mean, that's the thing. These routines are good for my body, but I forget to do them because I'm so distracted with other stuff. I'm not trying to avoid my healing. Consciously, 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 consciously. I'm not trying to consciously avoid my healing, but I think there are unconsciousnesses within me that are sabotaging my healing, are afraid of my healing, are afraid of my restoration, are afraid of what changes or or unfamiliar things or new demands and expectations will be laid in front of me if the healing is completed when the healing is complete as the healing completes there are unfamiliar experiences that become opportunities and that brings its own burdens to bear everybody says they want to win the lottery comes with a lot of paperwork And a lot of attention and a lot of questions and a lot of people begging you for access to your resources. You know, I think the main reason why people don't win the lottery is because they don't really want to win the lottery. Because they know that somewhere inside they really are happiest with their life the way that it is. Their higher self looks at their life and goes, I know you think you want that, but you don't really know what it's really, really like. And what it's really, really like, you are not going to like one iota. You won't like it. I know you think you will, but you won't like it. It's like uh, baker's chocolate in the kitchen. You guys know what baker's chocolate is? You ever get that, like, that little orange box? German brand baking chocolate. Um, the, the cruelest trick in the cupboard, I call that one. Because <laughs> you're all like scrolling through cans of, you know, tomato soup or peas, you know, looking for a snack, desperate for something delicious, out of everything, you know. It's the 27th of the month. <laughs> Nobody's going to the store for 
three days and you see this little box in the back and it says chocolate and you can read so you read the word chocolate the picture there's a little picture of chocolate on the cover you open it up you go hmm chocolate why do we have chocolate in here i don't know but i'm gonna eat it right now you open it up there's a little white square wrapped in paper or a little square wrapped in white paper rather you open up smell smells like chocolate looks like chocolate and then you go take a bite and you're like that's not chocolate like i thought it was chocolate that is decidedly, that's decidedly not, that is, that is not chocolate, that's not, what, bleh, and then you're like spitting it out and going, or maybe you eat it, I don't know, but <clears throat> my kid ate it. I used to eat it sometimes just because I liked chocolate so much I didn't care that it was dark and bitter and sometimes I'd do it as a dare because like somebody like if your sibling gave it to you as a trick like yeah here eat it and eat it and you'd be like oh what it's great I love it because you didn't want them to see that you didn't like it because you know deeply competitive with we had a lot of kids in the, in the house five kids is a lot so we were competitive about everything it's bullshit nonsense um anyways baker's chocolate that's what it is to want to win the lottery. Like, you think it's chocolate, but it's Baker's chocolate. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not great. Sure, it probably is great. Make things easy and nice for certain categories. But, like, what I'm saying is you'll be switching off one group of burdens for another group of burdens. You'll be switching off one sort of stressor and trouble for another sort of stressor and trouble. You know? And one sort of blessing for another sort of blessing. I'm not saying that the lottery wouldn't come with blessings. Yes, there'd be tons of blessings. So many blessings. You'd be flooded with blessings on the material plane. But what does that do for your spiritual development? Challenges. There are challenges there. <clears throat> There's no morality to wealth or poverty. It's happenstance, circumstance. There's no um, divinity in impoverishment. You're not more sacred because you can't pay your bills or because, you know, you're not acquisitive. You're not a collector. Plenty of beings in the animal kingdom like to collect shiny things. Brother Crow. Decorator crabs underwater. They, they, they make all kinds of fancy stuff. Dud it up for days. I'm not saying don't acquire. I'm saying that what you're seeking and what you're desiring and what you're trying to acquire. There may be other reasons for why you don't have it. It might be Baker's chocolate and you just don't know it. So read the package a little bit more carefully. See how much sweetness is in there for you. See if it's to your liking. See if it's to your palate. That's a random discussion on 
money. I guess I'm trying to work through money stuff. I'm always trying to work through money stuff. <laughs> I used to say I was allergic to money. Because, you know, I just, you know, capitalism. Money as a concept, you know, symbolic exchange of energy to ease transactions across different, you know, cultures and uh, communities. Great idea. Money as a concept is pretty handy. Capitalism is from the pit of every hell I can imagine. I just don't see, um, I don't see the point of capitalism. I don't see the humanity of capitalism, certainly. There's no humanity in capitalism. That's what I'll say. It's an artificial construct. It's a machine designed to build profit, to manufacture dollars. So while money as a tool is useful, we don't need a million hammers to hammer in a hundred nails. You need one hammer for a hundred nails. Capitalism creates artificial demand for fictional things that makes us destroy our actual reality. Like we sacrifice our actual physical material reality for this spiritual, non-real, non-material, fictional, mythological thing, this meaning that the dollars have. So like part of me wants to go back to barter and trade, but I understand how difficult and complicated that is. And I don't know what the solution is. I just know that every time I use dollars, you know, either spending or, or earning, I feel like someone somewhere along the line is getting the shaft because capitalism itself is an oppressive system that is generated by basically commodifying human labor and material resources. It's, it's like taking something out of nothing. You can't make something out of nothing. You can make something out of something, but there has to be something there to begin with. And the whole idea of like owning something and ascribing a value to it and then selling it to give to someone else, you know, because they have that value and they can give you that value. It's just, again, <coughs> trade is good. Dollars confuse the hell out of me from a spiritual perspective and from a physical like earth management perspective. I, you know, the whole like numbers thing, everything just swims like symbolically, numerologically at this point. It's tough to balance a, a budget when all you see are the sevens and the threes and the sixes and the nines <laughs> or combinations thereof. 22, 22, 22, you know? Like you see whenever there's repeating numbers or doubles or triples of numbers, it's like, but how much is in your savings account? I don't know, but there was a lot of threes in it. 
like this is not an answer an accountant can work with. <sighs> it was a good number because it ended in 33. What was the first other number? I don't know. But it ended in 33 cents, so it must have been a good decision. This is how I do budgeting. Nonsense. Ridiculous. It's funny how skills can just come into your life and then depart from you. There was a time when I used to be able to manage those types of um, mental transactions, no problem. I mean, when I worked in television and I had to do cost reports and uh, budgets for weekly episodes or for different departments for certain projects, like I had to work in Excel. I had to create spreadsheets and copy formulas and submit documents to the accounting department and to the production manager. Like I had to be in a workflow. I had an inbox and an outbox. Like my brain used to work that way. There was a time once upon a time where the tools in my mind could be put to that use. And it's not that I, I don't think I've lost it. It's just, um, it's so energetically draining to engage in those platforms anymore that I, I just don't. I've thought before about like switching over to paper, how if like, if I did it by hand, you know, like on paper, um, even like printed out some worksheets or something and filled it out by hand, how maybe that might make it more accessible somehow. Like if I took it out of the visual motor pathway of being on the computer screen, that maybe I might be able to make more sense of it. But um, it's just an idea I've dabbled with. I haven't actually put it into practice. So I could just be avoiding the work altogether. I don't know. I mean, it's sort of like somebody who's uh, going on a gluten-free diet and they just decide to eat out and just stop eating out at restaurants altogether because they just don't want to deal with the uh, risk of, of having a problem. Like, they could work around it. They could find ways or they could just avoid it altogether. I think that that's what I'm doing. I'm just avoiding it altogether. But unfortunately, this world still requires you know, dollars as lubrication for most transactions. That's what it is. I, I'm feeling flared up in this money wound right now because I lost another therapist this week. A good one. One of the best. I mean, like, on the podium. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't like to rank them because I know it hurts their feelings and we shouldn't have favorites because it's like children. But as far as therapists go, this was one of the best ones. They, they were a game changer for us. They literally saved lives at multiple points along the path for the family. Um, 
they're just, they're just, they're going to be missed. And it's the dollars. It's always the dollars that does it because the relationship is built on a framework of dollars. And so when the dollars change direction, so does the attentional focus. So it's very difficult to... very difficult to feel a, a sense of vulnerability, intimacy, to be honest, to be forthcoming and transparent and vulnerable with someone. But that's exactly what you have to be in order to make therapy effective. But you have to do all that knowing and understanding that the relationship could end at any point, right? And I mean, I guess you have to do that with all of your relationships because anybody could die at any moment. Like, I get it that we don't have guarantees in any of our relationships. That's, you know, <coughs> that's been the big lesson for me of the past few years. Like, I really just have learned <coughs> that there are no guarantees there are no guarantees. There are likelihoods, there are hopes and dreams, there are wishes and aspirations, there are patterns, certainly. Oh God, trust the pattern if you don't trust anything else. But when it comes to being in relationship, almost always the dollars are an impact. <laughs> If I knew, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, oh, I would come and hang out if I only had money for gas. I can't swing the gas this week. I can't swing the gas today. I can't swing the gas this month. So many, I mean, I don't know if that's an experience that the demographic of the people that are listening to my podcast, I don't, I don't know what your socioeconomic status is or what your mode of transportation is, but, uh. Suffice it to say that transportation when you're living at or near the poverty line becomes a major impediment to socialization and to cultural activities and to exercising. It basically becomes an impediment to living your life. The expense of transport is the first barrier to accessing any activity. So I think it's funny when like yoga classes charge 15 or $20 and I'm like, but there's no public transport here and I don't have a car. So it would cost me $35 to get there if I took a share, a ride share, you know? I mean, don't get me started on the fact that yoga classes are $15, but <sighs> I don't know what I'm rambling on about at this point. Basically the money and the fact that it gets in the way from us connecting sometimes. And so I try to do what I can to build connection outside of those capitalist pathways. Right now I'm gathering um, herbal medicines and healing supplies for the border caravan. There's a group of border angels that are going down, some herbalists and healers that are going to be working with the asylum seekers directly. Um, 
as they are awaiting their uh, court cases, you know, waiting to be heard, you know, um, I don't know if they're going to be waiting on this side of the border or that side of the border, but I'm getting supplies ready because I live in San Diego, motherfucking county. And I sent supplies to Standing Rock when that shit was going down. You know what I'm saying? Like, I sent, um, I had a bunch of wound care supplies, like straight up, like, you know, standard medical wound care supplies. Um, and so, and some other stuff, some equipment. I don't even remember, but I just put together this little, like, healing first aid kit box or whatever and there was a local group driving up to um standing rock and i gathered up those items and sent it with them because i wanted to be there physically but because i have you know a child that demands my full attention most of the time um and in particular in that season of his life i really was needing to be here for him and also physically during that time, that was um, during the height of my rheumatoid uh, disease process in the lead up to it and figuring out what it even was, like, was 2015, 2016. So um, I, my body was just sort of figuring out what it needed <clears throat> to be thriving and well. And so the idea of taking it up into an unfamiliar, uh, potentially violent environment because um, I know that not everyone experienced violence when they were at Standing Rock. It really depended on if you went to the um, the you know front line, so so called, um, or if you were there on certain action days, then you may have experienced it as a more violent place. But, but a lot of people experience Standing Rock as a time of coming together, a time of planning and building and strategizing and and just really a sense of strengthening within the indigenous community and feeling our the heft of our numbers and our the resilience of our presence um so if i sent a care package hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away how would i not put something together to take down just 70 miles down south you know what I'm saying? Like, Fallbrook is at the very, very northern edge of San Diego County, inland, right before you get to Temecula. <coughs> it's about an hour from the border without traffic, maybe an hour and a half. Hour and a half, probably. And then, uh, <coughs> depending on what time of day. So, how am I not going to go and support those humans? And, look, this is not a political statement in the slightest. I don't want to hear about whether or not they should have come, whether or not the parents were smart to bring their children with them. I, none of that matters remotely to me because I think borders are bullshit. I think that nations are nonsense. I think that, you know, tribe, clan, family based on, you know, locality and geography and, you know, sorting of likes and interest. That's where we're going as humans. That's where we're going. Right. This whole idea of like citizenry and you know, nation states and earning legality, like the right to legally exist somewhere, like all that stuff. I don't agree with any of that. Even if I did, 
I still wouldn't agree with humans being tear gassed. Even if in my old libertarian self saw this situation, I would say posse comitatus. You can't have you can't have the military there. You cannot have the military engage in law enforcement. You can't. It's illegal in our constitution. And even if you say, okay, well, no, don't, don't worry about that. I still wouldn't do the tear gas thing. That is just chemical weapons. Geneva Convention says you cannot use it for, for protecting borders or for military action. You can't use chemical weapons on civilians. Or I think maybe at all. I'm not sure. You can't use chemical weapons in the Geneva Convention. So tear gas is a chemical weapon. We broke the Geneva Convention because America but the thing is this I these pictures and what they're doing to the people at the border it's exactly what happened to the people at Standing Rock two years ago it's exactly what happened to other water protectors at other sites there have been water protectors and um, uh, earth activists you know pipeline activists all over the country um, fighting these issues working through these issues trying to make right what has once gone wrong <laughs> you know they're doing what they can and I've seen dogs sent after them I've seen spray gas rubber bullets you know um, real, <clears throat> real bullets in some cases. There's been infiltrations from government agents. There's been uh, payouts to certain communities to gain compliance. There's been manipulations and there's been, you know, political activists arrested and incarcerated for no reason other than trying to exercise their First Amendment rights or their natural rights as living beings. The American government is in no way ideal. Okay? Let's just start with that and then acknowledge the fact that I live in a border town. I live in San Diego. Okay? I'm on the border. My rights are significantly abridged because I live within a hundred miles of the coast or a border and a border, both. And I got it coming from either way. So there's times when I feel like I can't do anything. There's times when I feel like there's nothing that can be done. But I know I can make elderberry syrup I know I can make packets of mulling tea. I know that I can gather things up with care and attention. And I can send it there either in, in my own, you know, carrying. If I can get down there, if I can find a way to get the time away and to feel um, strong and well enough in my body to do that, then I'm going to 
go myself and bring it myself, bring myself with my medicine, bring my set medicine with myself. And if I can't, then I'm going to send my medicine where my body can't tread. But either way, I've got a little collection building up. So it helps me to feel good and purposeful when I do things like that with the resources that I have, when I do things like that with the money that I have, when I do things like that, it helps me feel good. Everything else is kind of questionable. Gives me great pause. So, I don't know, but I've been uh, expressing I have been expressing and that matters because a couple of days without this and I start to go a little nuts in my head. I start to overthink it and overcomplicate it and try to make it too special and too precious. And the truth of it is, it's just verbal processing. It's just audio journal. It's my diary. And hopefully there's something to glean in it for myself or for others. Hopefully there's some understanding or clarification that comes from externalizing this unconscious process and kind of throwing it up on the wall for me to look at. I feel like that's what this um, podcasting, netcasting, audio zine community is about. We're all just listening to each other process our stuff and we're getting a lot out of listening to each other's life hacks, you know, overhearing how we wiggle our way through difficult situations and conversations. So, I don't know. I'm very grateful. I'm appreciative so much of Mark and Holly and what they're building here. I'm so appreciative of Open Lines Radio. And I'm so appreciative of everyone that listens to even a minute of this because I feel like any bit that you hear was meant for you somehow. <laughs> I feel like that's a spiritual truth. Any little bit that you hear, it was meant for your ears. So sign up for the notifications and try to listen live if you can. And if you can't listen live, then please understand that our entire archive is always, 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 always available um, on your favorite podcast listening portal like Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, or my favorite, SoundCloud. Um, I like SoundCloud because you can listen to the shows in different playlists. So if you really like one particular favorite program, you can listen to them all in a row. Um, but uh, I like to listen to everybody. And I like to listen to the conversations reflect one another and be shaped by one another. And I love knowing that most of the time we have no idea what the other person is saying on the other end when we lay down our tracks. So the whole process is fascinating to me and I'm really enjoying it and I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> so this is enough for today. This is enough for any day except to say Chihololi, which means I love you and Chukma Chupisalacho means hello, I will see you, as the Chickasaw have no word for goodbye.
Just touch and see 